But I'm excited to be talking and to be bringing a new series today um, called Prepare the Way. Can you look to your neighbor and say, Prepare the Way? Now can you look to your other neighbor and say, Prepare the Way? Now really focus on the prepare the way. Yeah, prepare the way. So we're starting a new series today called uh, Preparing the Way. And, um, you know, for a while, have you ever, you know, read uh, a passage of Scripture or maybe read uh, of a character in the Bible and you just felt like you wanted to do some more study on them? Like, you're like, what, 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 is, what is going on with this? I remember uh, I was reading in the book of Second Timothy and came across um, Alexander the coppersmith. And I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. I want to learn more about Alexander the coppersmith. And uh, I remember uh, about a year ago, I started studying um, uh, Mephibosheth. And I'm like, man, that's just a really interesting character who there's connections with King David and there's also connections in the New Testament with, with Judas Iscariot. And so for a while now, I've been wanting to do um, a little bit of a study on John the Baptist. And um, so today, we're kind of starting, we're going to be doing a four-week series on John the Baptist and preparing the way. And the more I've delved into John the Baptist, the more his story is kind of wild. And I don't know if you've studied much of John the Baptist before, but um, his parents were very old. Do we have any old people in the house today? It's okay. You can raise your hand. Uh, His parents were very old, Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And um, the Lord um, spoke to Zechariah and told him that he was going to bear a son. And um, he actually prophetically spoke of John the Baptist. And actually, if you look in Luke chapter 1, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because it says that um, in Scripture it says, so first of all, he had very old parents. So those of you who have old parents can relate. But second of all, in Scripture it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Can you imagine that? So he was, he was, a, he was, a, he, he was a man of God, even from birth. Um, if you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And if you know of Elijah in the Old Testament, you know that he was one of the great prophets of old, who did many miraculous things in the Old Testament. In fact, when Elijah became the next prophet of Israel, he said, I want a double portion of what Elisha has. So I want to be twice as cool as Elisha. And God blessed his prayer and and gave him like a double portion of his blessing. And so here he says, listen, he, um, he, he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Now, that's a powerful statement there, isn't it? To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A people prepared for the Lord. So he was filled from the Holy Spirit even from birth. He had a a double portion of, of blessing. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In Matthew chapter 11, it says, Jesus spoke of, of, of John the Baptist and he says, he says this, he says, out of those born of, of women, there's been no one greater than him. Can you imagine? I, I mean, you just think of all the characters in the Old Testament. And like, out of everyone born, there's been no one greater than John the Baptist. 
And um, we find also that he was a man who wore, he lived in the wilderness. He, he, he wore camel hair and he um, had a leather belt around his, his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. So he was just an interesting character, and I feel like he's going to be an interesting character for us to study throughout the month of June, John the Baptist preparing the way. And specifically today, I wanted to look at a passage of scripture that's found in Luke chapter 3, and we're just going to read verses, um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through uh, 6 this morning, where it says, um, and this is going to be kind of our launching pad here, it says, in the 15th year... Of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atyria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So just right away, I kind of want you to see that it wasn't like, it wasn't like in Scripture that, 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 that Luke was saying, you know, there's going to be this guy that shows up, and this guy came, and it was sometime in the first century A.D. It wasn't like he said, hey, it was going to be sometime in the 1900s. Like, this was a very specific time that this happened, a very specific time in a very specific place. And, and then you keep on reading in verse 3, it says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I'm going to go back up to verse 4 again. It says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight, the rough roads smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Lord, just be with us this morning as we talk through your word. I just pray that you will um, minister to us and that you will open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning, Father. I pray that... um, I pray that, we, that, that, that you will quicken in our hearts this morning. Maybe there are some John the Baptist type people here this morning that um, are passionate about preparing the way for you. And uh, I just pray that you will, again, just speak to us this morning. I just pray that your word, will become, your word will come alive this morning, Father. I pray that your word will do, it all, will do what it always does and that it will change us and transform us and move in us. And I pray that it will just... Do what it needs to do, Father. Even if it's painful, I pray that you'll prune us and mold us and um, refine us, Father, with your, with your word this morning. In your holy name, we ask these things. Amen. So it's interesting when you look at this passage of Scripture because 
First of all, uh, the writer gives a very specific time. Again, you look at it, he's like, hey, listen, uh, uh, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetra, like he gives a very, very specific time. And, um, and then he turns around and he quotes a very specific passage of scripture in speaking of John the Baptist. Um, it's interesting because when you look at this passage of scripture, you might actually see a footnote in your Bible which um, reaches, so what he's doing here is he's actually quoting um, something that was written 700 years before by the prophet Isaiah. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah at all, but um, it's a book that was written around 700 um, uh, AD. It was written to the people of Israel. Um, They had been in rebellion and the nation had refused to return to the Lord. They'd rejected the message of the Lord. And Isaiah was in pain over what was happening because people weren't listening. And so he's writing this book and he's really speaking to them about repentance and about turning back and about turning from their sins. And they were rejecting what he was giving them. And so um, he's talking to them. In fact, uh, chapters 1 through 39 Uh, He's talking to them, and he speaks of Assyria, and he speaks of Babylon, and he's warning Israel to to come back from what what they're going into, and he's speaking about how Israel is going to be like a tree that's cut down, and that's it's going to be like a smoldering stump, and he's prophetically speaking of the things that are going to be happening in the future in the book of Isaiah. It's a prophetic book where he's prophetically speaking of the things that are going to be happening in the future. And um, he speaks of, uh, of Babylon uh, in really a hundred and some years before it happens, which is wild. He speaks specifically of Babylon coming down and destroying uh, Jerusalem. And uh, he, speaks of, he speaks of that, and he, um, I don't know, you think about his prophetic message. He speaks of that, and, and it happens, and Israel is in captivity in Babylon for some 70 years and um, after the 70 years, they come back and they rebuild the wall. And, and man, and then there's like 400 years of, of silence from the Lord. And um, so, again, you look at, at, at Isaiah 1 through 39, and it's really kind of, you're reading it, and it's, you, you, you kind of feel the weight of what's happening, and you kind of feel the weight of what's going on. And... Um, And in verse, or I should say in chapter 40, there's almost like a turning point. So 1 through 39 speaks of all the things that are going to happen. But it's it's almost like a hinge that happens in chapter 40. It's like a turning point in the book. Where at the beginning of chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah speaks of comfort. And he speaks of hope. And he speaks of the coming Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter 40, he references John the Baptist some 700 years before John the Baptist was even around. And he speaks of, it's, it's, like, a, it's, like, a, it's like a foreshadowing of what's going to be happening in Luke chapter 3. And um, kind of interesting. And when, when, I, when I read that, oh man, it's it's. It's, it's wild to think that God had it all planned out. He had it all planned out from the very beginning. Um, it's crazy that 
there was this connection from the prophet Isaiah to John the Baptist in the New Testament. And I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking to myself here this morning. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm insane. Am I insane? You guys can raise your hand if you agree. No, no one? Okay, okay, thank you, Troy. Okay, so, so maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm insane. Hey, don't raise your hand. My wife knows me well. But it, it, it gives me hope in knowing that, that, that God is sovereign and that God has everything planned out. Like even when life is crazy, even when... The world is insane even when there's sin and there's corruption and there's, you know, you think about uh, Jerusalem was getting ready to fall and they were going to be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years and there was going to be 400 years of silence. The Lord was in control. Is that good news this morning? Like you might be going through something difficult and hard and trials and, but I want to remind you this morning that God is sovereign that God is in control, that, God, that God, God is not caught by surprise by your situations or by your circumstances. Like when I read this, it gives me hope this morning because I realize, man, you think about these people that live during this time and uh, they're, they're seeing the things that are happening and they're seeing their nation fall apart because their leaders were not um, listening to the Lord. And does that sound familiar today? I mean, come on, people. They, the people aren't listening to the Lord and they just felt so hopeless and in despair and God was in control. Like I read that, it gives me so much encouragement this morning to know that God is sovereign and that God is in control. So, so he gives a very specific uh, time and he gives a very specific passage of scripture. And, and it's interesting because when he um, speaks of John the Baptist, he says, listen, um, he says, as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, he said, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Where was he? Where was he at? Where was John the Baptist at? He was in the, yeah, he was in the wilderness. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm studying it. And I looked up the definition of wilderness. And it means an unhabitable and uncultivated wild area. So he was, see, to me this seems weird because I feel like, man, if someone is preparing the way for the Lord, if someone's preparing the, the way for the coming Messiah, right, God in the flesh, um, to me, I feel like the guy who's preparing the way perhaps should be preparing the way in a very populated area. Or I think maybe he should be preparing the way, and maybe it would be, a nice, maybe it'd be nice for him to pre- prepare the way in a cosmopolitan area. Perhaps a very nice, rich cosmopolitan area so that everyone could know, right? Like, I feel like if, if, if someone's coming and preparing the way... Why, why don't they come and prepare the way in Detroit? Woo, yeah. Why don't they come and prepare the way in New York? Why don't they come and prepare the way in Rome? Why don't they come? Like, 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 but it says here that, that he came and prepared the way in the wilderness. Again, he wasn't hanging out in nice, cosmopo- nice cosmopolitan areas. He wasn't sitting in a nice air-conditioned church. But he was in the wilderness. He was in a place where people really aren't supposed to live. 
I kind of wonder, like, if, if, if you're in the wilderness too, I wonder what sort of preparedness you need to have to live in the wilderness. Like, you'd, you'd have to know how to survive. You'd have to know what to eat. You'd have to know the type of shelter to make. You'd have to know where to get water. You'd have to feel like there's some, there'd need to be some preparedness to be prepared to reach people in the wilderness. But God called him into the wilderness to prepare a way in the wilderness. And it's interesting because when I looked at Scripture, I began to look at all the significant biblical events that took place in the wilderness. And it's, it's actually kind of wild. There's, there's a lot of things that Moses led the people of Israel in the wilderness. Elijah heard from the Lord in the wilderness. Jesus faced temptation in the wilderness. And I, as I read this, I began to think about how um, God often uses the wilderness to, um, to refine us and to prepare us and to... Get us ready. He was in the wilderness. And if you keep on reading, it says, so again in verse 4, it says, as it is written in the book of the, of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of the one calling the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It says, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. And the rough waves smooth. So he's like, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. And the rough waves smooth. So I want you to fill in the valleys. I want you to knock down the hills and make them low. Now, I don't know. I kind of feel like what the prophet Isaiah is doing here is he's making a word picture, you know? Like, imagine with me for a minute that, that, that over here, is, uh, over here is, a, is a picture of the Messiah, okay? I should have brought a picture, a picture of Jesus, okay? Let's say Jesus is standing over here. And let's say we are standing way over here, okay? So Jesus is over there. We're standing way over here. And imagine that, that, in, that, that, that to get, in order to get to Jesus, there's some, there's some valleys that we have to go down. And when you're in the valley, and then you're in the valley, should I keep on going down? We're in the valley. When you're down in the valley, you can't see him. Okay? And even when you're up on, up on the, even when you come out of the valley, there's hills. So you, 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 can't, you can't see, even when you're out of the valley, you can't really see him very well. And there's, 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 there's obstacles in the way, and there's trees in the way, and there's things in the way, and there's boulders in the way, and there's, there's so, 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 so that when, when, when you come, and it's, so, 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 so Jesus is over there, and you're over here, and there's obstacles in the way. And what he's telling, uh, what he's telling uh, John the Baptist is, listen, I want you to fill up those valleys and take down those hills so that when people come, they can see a clear picture of Jesus. I want them to see a clear picture of Jesus. And as I read that, I began to think to myself, man, does our life do this for other people? When people look at us, are we able to give other people a clear picture of Jesus? 
Or when people look at us, is it obscure? Does, does, it help when, does it help them to see Jesus more clearly? Does it show the transforming power of God's work when people look at us? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. Is our life painting a clear picture of Jesus? It might might sometimes. I mean, on a Sunday morning, I think my life paints a perfect picture for Jesus. Sunday morning, it's perfect. Wednesday night, perfect. Monday morning, no. Tuesday afternoon, no. By the time Friday comes, no way. If someone cuts me off in traffic, no way. Um, If, um, I don't know, the Timberwolves lose, no way. If the Lions lose, no way. I I mean, like, like, listen, listen. I give a clear picture of Jesus on certain days at certain times. But does our life give a clear picture of Jesus to those who are close to us, to our family, to our friends, to our kids? Like, like, or are we creating obstacles, putting things in the way, preparing the way for the Lord? Now, it's interesting because he came and he prepared the way, and, and you kind of wonder, like, what was his message? What did he say? What did he do? He was a man that was wearing camel hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he was eating locusts and wild honey, so we know he was insane, right? <laughs> but like, what, what exactly was his message? He was preparing people for, for Jesus, but what was his message? I mean, did he, did he speak about Bonbons and Little Debbies? Did he speak about the, I don't know, did he speak about the magnificence of the church? Did he speak about the best um, sport? I, like, what was his message? How did he prepare people for the coming of the king? It's interesting because actually if you look in Scripture, It actually says, it says that he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now it's interesting because I feel like when you look at the prophet Isaiah, His message was the same. A message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, if you look up the the, the word repent in the Greek, it entails more than merely sorrow or regret. You know, sometimes when we've done something wrong, we feel bad, but not bad enough to do anything about it. Anyone ever been there before? 
Like you've yelled at someone, you're like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And then they do it again, you yell at them again. Like you kind of feel bad, but like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, or maybe you know that, maybe you know that what you're doing is wrong, but uh, yeah, whatever. Like I, I know that it's wrong and uh, I'll say my prayer, but I know that God's grace and mercy, whatever. So it's okay for me to just keep on doing it. Anyone ever been there before where it's just like, you know, you, it's, it's like you, you kind of enjoy what you're doing. It's kind of fun, whatever. But, 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 but you look and it's like it means more than just sorrow or regret. It means to change the mind or the will. It means to change direction. You know, you think about it, and really, John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness, and he was speaking to barren places. He was speaking to people who were on the outcasts. But when you look at his dialogue with the people that he was talking to, these were people, actually, you can, even, you can go check me out after this if you want to. Keep on reading in Luke chapter 3. You can see that he's referencing things that it, it was people that knew the Bible, that knew the word of God. These weren't people that were oblivious. These were people that, that knew it was right but didn't do it, similar to Isaiah. Isaiah was talking to the leaders that knew it was right but didn't do it. And so he's, he's speaking like his message is a message of repentance. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that, that, that sometimes, you know, we, 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 we look at the, the word and we look at scripture and we get excited and we, we see the things that we're supposed to do and yet we don't do it. And I would say that really the, the further you get from God, the less your sin becomes visible. The less it becomes visible. The further you get away from God, the less your sin becomes visible. The closer you get to God, the more your sin becomes visible. The closer you get to God, the more you feel his sorrow for your sin. Did you know that God feels sorrow for your sin this morning? In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. There are people that say, man, I want a move of God I want a revival. I want amazing things to happen. I think that repentance is the precursor to revival. So I don't, you know, I need a passage of scripture to support that, Pastor Evan, because I think the tinglys are a precursor to revival. I think that Great worship is a precursor to revival. I think that an amazing message about the, uh, the grace of God is a precursor to revival. I need a passage of scripture to support that. The greatest revival, one of the greatest revivals in history. Mention the book of Acts. Check it out. Peter replied. Acts chapter 2, verses 38. He says, repent, here's the word, and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for your children and for all who are far off. This isn't just for the first first century church. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then keep on reading. It says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
man, John the Baptist, he was a great man. He was a fantastic man. The worship team can come back up. He was a fantastic man. He was one of the greatest men um, that was ever born of woman, according to, according to Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He wore camel hair and a, a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he came, and the way that he prepared people for the Lord is he preached in the wilderness. He gave them a clear picture of who Jesus was, and he preached a message of repentance. I think that people often want a Christianity that 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 leaves us in our sin. But the question is, are you willing to lay down your crown? Are you willing to pick up your cross? Are you willing to let God illuminate your heart and have access to the dark recesses? If anyone were to come after me, he must deny himself. He must pick up his cross and he must follow me. God, I pray for everyone here this morning, Father. I just pray that your, your spirit will continue to do its work. God, I pray that you will instill in us just a godly sorrow for our sin. I pray that we won't be complacent. I pray that we won't be uh, satisfied in the things that we're living in, but that you will reach down and and pull us up out of the, the miry clay, Father. I pray that you will give us strength to prepare the way so that other people can see you more clearly, Father. And I pray that you will be glorified and that you will be magnified. God, I pray for those of us who are here this morning who have been struggling with our sin. I pray that um, you'll just give us the strength. And um, we know in your scripture it says that your blood covers over a multitude of sin. I I pray that we'll be people that repent, that don't just acknowledge, but that we turn from what we've been living in, Father, and that you will be glorified in our lives. God, we ask these things in your holy and in your righteous name. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace. We ask these things in your holy and your righteous name. Amen.